0: Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, future tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And should you happen to get the world code, which is 01. That's correct? Correct. All exactly right. All right. You can reach us from anywhere in the world that's right this morning yeah (laughs) there you go yeah that not after 11 o'clock however you'll have to revert back to our website for that okay we're and we're on central time (laughs) there you go so So central daylight time as a matter of fact correct on the website it's like a little clock Uh uh-huh and it is engineered in such a way or programmed i should say in such a way that it will tell you how long it is until the automotive hour comes on. Wherever you are in the world, you can look at that little clock, and it'll tell you two days, three days, one day, uh-huh. one hour, two hours, whatever. And also, a lot of people don't realize, when it is the automotive hour is on the air, right. if you click on that little watch, and you know, there's a face of the watch, if you click on that little clock, it'll take you to a live feed of the show, so you can listen online. That's even better. There you go. <laughs> the only thing be better than that is if you give us a call. There you go. You just give us a call. <laughs> well, you know the calls... To me, add a new dimension or another dimension to the show because you and I can sit here and yak back and forth, of course, but the show, what it does, it brings up points that we may not have even thought about or anticipated. Different topics. Different topics. And it sort of goes off the tangents. And a lot of times, you may have a question that will answer a question that another listener may have. Exactly. So... Always good to get the calls. We appreciate that, whether you're in Baton Rouge or Boston or Bangor. Hey, you just give us a call. I'm going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. All you got to do is dial 291-6901. Get you right straight to the top of the list. That's it. And should you happen not to want to be on the air with us, which I couldn't see why you would, wouldn't want to. Well, but... I just can't stand Two <laughs> nice guys like us. I'm telling you. You can always go to your, our website and mm-hmm. get your questions answered that way. Right. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A- GCOAUTO.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the little form, and send it in and get your questions answered that way. That's right. You get answered answer right on back. We get email from all over the world. Got one this morning. It was a follow up to one I got a little bit earlier in the week from a gentleman in the uh, United Kingdom. Okay. And he's got an Audi with an oil leak, and it's unfortunately on this particular car i think it was a rear camshaft seal which is going to be behind the transmission correct you'd have to remove the transmission to address this and he was asking is it okay to use stop leak Uh in this particular instance because it was going to cost a lot of money to repair it and i told him no you do not want to do that because number one stop leak is never going to be an effective repair over any length of time The way stop leak products work is that they will swell the seal up by attacking the rubber. Uh When they swell the seal up, it sort of takes up some of the gap where the leak used to be. So it may temporarily subside. However, it's going to deteriorate not only that seal, but every seal in the motor. Correct, because it's touching every seal as it goes around with the oil. That's right. So you're creating a much, much larger problem. Now, another issue with using stop leak, and particularly in this case is that no one is diagnosing why the leak is there to start with. Exactly. Because oil leaks are generally not a problem so much in and of themselves as they are a symptom of a problem. There is something that caused the oil to leak or caused the seal to fail. If the seal were defective or it were installed improperly, you, you would have, have known about it. Yeah, it would leak immediately or from the first day. And I have seen brand new cars, oh come I in have and they're leaking all because the seal's knocked in crooked, driven or in too deep, got damaged, cut. got nicked. Right, you see that in shops a lot of time they'll make a repair and they'll damage the seal putting it in. Maybe they didn't have the right seal installer. They used a hammer and. Those are one class of leaks. However, let's say the car has 50, 60, 70,000 miles and And it starts to leak. More times than not, something has caused this leak. Right. Whether it be from not changing the oil. Well, if you don't change your oil often enough, there are things in the oil that keep seals pliable. And those go away over time. So the seal can get hard and brittle and it can start to leak. That is one thing. Another thing is that sludge can start to develop. Debris can get in the oil, and it can chew to seal up, wear to seal out. So those are sort of a leak caused by neglect. Another series or class of leaks would be when you have internal pressure building up in the engine. And what happens, let's say the PCV system becomes ineffective for whatever reason, whether the valve stopped up or a hose got soft and sucked Mm -hmm. in or a hose got knocked off or somebody put the air filter down and pinched the hose off. For whatever reason, the crankcase ventilation system is not working. Well, a certain amount of pressure from the combustion process always leaks past the rings because they're not one hundred percent seal. Right, which goes into the crankcase. That's known as blowby, and that pressure will start to build up if the PC system doesn't suck it out. So, as positive pressure starts to grow in the crankcase, it's going to push out the weakest seal. It's going to push all past the weakest seal, eventually blow the seal. Now. You go in, you repair that seal. What happens is the next seal is going to fail. The next weakest link is going to right. fail. And that's, again, a whole another series of leaks. Now, the third or, I guess, fourth series of leaks is where you have a mechanical failure. In other words, the shaft or part that is being sealed maybe develops some slack, so it starts to wobble. Well, yeah. now the seal can no longer retain it. Correct. You'll see that a lot on differentials where the front pinion seal will start leaking. That's because the pinion bearing has gotten some slack in it, and now the, the shaft itself that the seal controls, or mm-hmm. well, seals I should say, mm-hmm. starts moving up and down with That's the force right. of the acceleration and deceleration. It can't retain the circular seal around the shaft, so therefore it starts leaking. That's right, and even more common what happens is the universal joint will fail, so the shaft starts to vibrate, it gets off, and then that beats up the front bearings which beats out the seal. Well, the first thing you see is the seal. The seal's leaking. leaking. So let's knock another seal in there. Right. Well, that lasts about two weeks, and it's leaking again. And if you say, well, okay, I'm just going to put up with the leak, then what happens the whole rear end tears up because the bearing has caused the gears to get out of mesh. So then you end up with a $4,000 repair, a dry shaft, and a rear differential, which could have been possibly prevented had you diagnosed the problem correctly from the onset mm-hmm. because few things that happen to cars just happen out of well, it of just belief. happened. Yes, some do, but not very many. Most of the time something calls them. And that's the difference between a diagnostic type shop and a and shop that re- just treats symptoms. In, yeah. yeah. A parts changer. And a guy who would recommend a stop leak is probably not even in a class with a parts changer. <laughs> <laughs> so I would not trust the advice of such a person. Correct. And, the point we were getting to is that stop leak is not ever going to fix a problem. No. It is at, at most, it's going to cover it up for a week or so. At or most, most. And you're going to be back with it in, with a vengeance. With a much, much worse problem. And we had a gentleman come in a while back, and he had a leak. I think the rear main seal was leaking. And he did not tell me that he had put stop leak in the engine. Uh-huh. So what we did is we went in, and we looked at it and the seal was deteriorated. So I told him the seal looks pretty bad did something cause this well no not that i know of i said okay well what you might want to start doing is changing your oil a little more often right and we replace rear seal well about a month later it comes back and it's leaking all again okay so we look at the rear main seal it's dry but now the valve covers are leaking well at this point i quizzed him a little further and i said you sure well we put some stop leak in it there you go well had you told me that initially you could have saved yourself a lot of money. Sure. Because I would have told you at that point, we need to really remove the engine and reseal it. You've already paid to pull the transmission out to put the rear main seal in. Which is a third of the job. Well, at least, maybe more than that in some cars. You've already now going to pay me to go in and tear all these valve covers and all down. At that point, you've paid almost as much labor as you would if we'd have just we We could have just motor. removed the engine, changed all the seals at one time, because that's inevitably where we're going with this. Correct. Unless you're going to go get rid of the car. And... The point is you can't ever lie or withhold information from your mechanic. It's like trying to lie to your lawyer or lie to or your you dentist doctor. or your doctor. Right. Yeah, you may think that you're saving money doing that, but do you really want this guy to have things he doesn't know? Because he can only advise you as far as he knows the information. He's uh-huh. not a mind reader. There's no way in many cases to tell that Stop League's been put into a system until the SEALs just start to fail one after the other. So if you've done something like that, you need to make the mechanic aware of that. Now, he may say, okay, well, let's do this. Let's change this part. Let's flush the all out. Maybe you can change it real frequently, a couple of times, and then we'll just watch and see if anything else happens. But if we're doing a leak that's going to involve a sizable amount of labor, let's say we got a timing cover leak. On some vehicles, you have to remove the engine to change the timing cover. Sure. And if you're going to go to that extent, had he known that it had stop leak in it. Another hour and a half he could have changed all the seals. Right. Couple and hours he could have changed all the seals. Right. Saved you a ton of money. And had he known but if he didn't know, it's not for you can't blame him say, Well, you should have done it anyway. Well he didn't know that. Exactly. He only knew that this seal was leaking. Well, time and cover seal's leaking. You right. pull the motor change it. You put right. it back in. Two months later, the rear main's leaking. The engine's right. got to come out again, back out again, and you're paying double labor to have it done. That's right, because you withheld information that could have caused a lot different diagnosis had sure. you known. Because, again, you got to remember mechanics are really really smart, they're really really clever, but they're not mind readers. Right, they cannot read your desires, wants, thoughts, and in many cases, they can't tell what's happened before they got the vehicle. So, if you will apprise them of that information, sure. Another case in point is like the lady last week who called and the car was overheating and she had a repair done and now it's continuing to overheat. Well, if you just go in and say, look, my car's overheating, they're going to check and they say, okay, well, we found a broken radiator. So they changed the radiator. Then a month later, the heater core goes out. Well, they changed the heater core. Had you told them, look, this car was badly overheated before this happened, then they would have done a carbon dioxide test, found out they've got pressure in the cooling system causing this, they would have went and changed the head gas before they spent all this other money. But yep. the point is, they're not going to automatically order up a series of expensive tests if there's no evidence to suggest that. Correct. And after the fact, and there's after you've cleared out all the codes, after you've addressed the initial problem, put it back together, three months later, you just can't tell if that's been done or not in mm-hmm. many cases. We was talking about stop leak, and— one of the worst things you can put stop leak in is an air conditioning oh system. my god yes and that f- is that fortunately is, we can generally detect that because we've got a machine that'll go in and it will analyze. take a sample and analyze the refrigerant right and we do that on every single car before we work on it. for the mere fact that now you have to recover any refrigerant that is in the system that's correct and if you recover refrigerant with a with the stop leak in it you'll tear up a ten thousand dollar recovery right. machine you have a recycle machine if you run stop leak through it it's going to it's destroy done. that machine so we're not going to take that chance we're going to identify the contents of that system correct. before we touch it now the that, kicker is if it comes back contaminated right i'm going to hand you keys <laughs> back and say i am sorry sir but there is nothing i can do that's what right do you mean there, there's nothing i can do because i can't suck this through a recycle machine and it's a ten thousand dollar fine to expel it to the atmosphere correct so by law i am now prohibited from repairing the car so if you are using something like well, that if you're anticipating using it once you you've used it it's pretty well, much yeah, too late done. <laughs> you're <laughs> done it, read the packaging if it says anything about stop leak that's right do not put it in and you know it's very unfortunate because we get that a lot where people will come in and have stop leak and their cooling in their air conditioning system and don't know how it got in there right and the product they purchased had, had in it in there, there and they weren't aware of it right so we're going to talk a little bit more about that and a whole bunch more when we get back on the automotive hour Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I'm
1: here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Adco automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Adco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits... And he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey,
0: welcome back to the Automotive Hour. We sure appreciate spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a question or a comment on the show, please give us a call. It's 291-6901. And Brian and I are just sitting here waiting for you to call. That's it. There you go. Ready to answer your (laughs) question. Rip rolling (laughs) and (laughs) ready. We were talking just a little bit about the different types of stop leak and stuff Uh and why you don't want to use those. And we talked about the air conditioner. And inevitably, someone will come in and their AC quit working Working. and they got the neighbor to put some refrigerant in it. Uh Uh-huh. And he went down to the parts store and bought a can of refrigerant. And if you look really close on the label, it says "contains stop leak. Correct. And they dumped that in, which didn't fix anything, but now his system's contaminated. So I'm telling, sir, I'm sorry, I can't repair it. Uh-huh. And he's getting ballistic because he's got a car he still owes money on without air conditioning that he can't get repaired. Down in South Louisiana in, in, in the South middle Louisiana, of summer. That's exactly right. Well, how did it get in? I said, well, I don't know how it got in there. I can only tell you that it's in there. It is in there. Well, why do they sell that? I said, well, because someone's willing to buy it, and there's no regulation on it. In other words, no one will keep you from buying something harmful to you. I mean, if so, I guess they wouldn't sell cigarettes, (laughs) 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 but they do. And the point is, the automotive parts business is all but totally unregulated. They sell parts all the time that don't meet any kind of spec. They do sell refrigerant with stop leak. They sell power and steering fluid with stop leak. Oh, yeah, I see that all the time. They sell all sorts of things with all these different chemicals and stuff in there that can do a lot of damage to the vehicle. Right. And for whatever reasons it's it's allowed. So you as the owner of the vehicle have to be knowledgeable, prudent, about, it. knowledgeable about it and prudent about it. I as a shop owner are gonna have I'm gonna have to identify this. Contents of the system before I can suck it into my recycle machine because I can't afford to destroy a recycle machine to fix your car. No, and I can't just expel this out to the atmosphere because federal federal law law. says that you cannot do that. So it leaves me with a cash twenty-two. I can't recycle the refrigerant and I can't expel the refrigerant. So there's really nothing I can legally do. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure there's some backyard Bob who I'm sure opened the valves and let it out in the air and put some more parts on or whatever and that's between him and you and the federal government government. when he gets caught (laughs) when he gets caught or you get caught or whoever but that's just like dumping used oil out on the ground well or into a creek creek, or a stream or whatever. there are just certain things that you can't do and if you ask me i'm just gonna look you eye and say i'm sorry Sorry. i can't do that that's right i'm not gonna apologize because nothing for me to apologize about i'm following the law and you're asking me not to so the point is, be very, very careful about the things that you put into your vehicle. Correct. Because the problem may be much, much greater than what you had before. In some cases, it may become irreparable. irreparable at that point. So it's not something that you just want to go do. So anyway. Yeah. I that, mean, that's we see it all the time. We it's, do. It's, and, par- it's a really sad situation. Well, generally, you'll get a car coming in with, say, power steering and... It started out with the power steering pump went bad. The front bearing went out. And the seals started And the leaking. seals started to leak. Well, somebody dumped stop leaking into, it, uh-huh. which softened all the seals and damaged the hoses. Well, by the time it's just pouring out, they come in and want a power steering pump put on it. But now what you find is that not only is the power steering pump leaking, all five hoses are leaking. And the steering And gear. the rack and pinion is leaking. Sure. So we just took a $400 job. And and turned turned it into a a $2,000 job. Let's say the car has hydro boost on it, which is a power steering fired brake booster. Well, now you may dump another $1,000 on top of that. Exactly. And it's like the old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) (laughs) I know nobody meant to do damage. I know no one meant to do harm. However... You have done harm, and mm-hmm. now somebody's going to have to pay to deal with it. All. Well, and especially on that power steering fluid, you can look at the bottle, and you really have to search. Yeah, it's not, it's not labeled out with stop leak. That's right. So you've really got to search to get the pure stuff, the real stuff. And that's one reason we buy the majority of our fluids from the OEM, from Correct. the original equipment manufacturer, just because I can't trust necessarily that some of this aftermarket fluid doesn't have other things in it. Right. Even transmission fluid may have stop leak in sure. some of it. If you go to a parts store and just ask for a can of Dexron, you may be getting Dexron with stop leak in it. Right. There's just And they think they're doing you a favor because it's an old transmission. They're going to add swell that to it, swell the seals up, and make it quit leaking. Well, that's great for a little while. Until it and, quits pulling. Well, then all lip <laughs> seals start blowing out. And now the car won't pull. All right. So now we've got a much, much bigger problem. And you're not going to go in and change seals because this stuff is circulating through the whole system. Sure. So now you're going to be into a a new unit, total purging of the system, cleaning the coolers or replacing the coolers, plus total rebuilding of the system with torque converter and everything else. Valve body's got to be torn down, pretty much everything else. Right. Now, another kind of a tangential thing along with that is putting a foreign material into the system. For instance, we get... Fairly often, someone comes in and the brake pedal is on the floor. Uh And what's happened is that someone has inadvertently put power steering fluid into Into the the brake brake system. system. And that happens, and I don't want to pick on an industry of people, but in the quick change oil business, sometimes that can happen. Right. Because what goes on is that those places are generally not highly compensated. So they're generally going to get people who are lower skilled, Uh beginners, and if they were only changing oil and they were trained to do that, that would be fine, but it's fairly easy for them to go to top off the brake fluid, reach over and grab a can of power steering fluid, and one of my big contentions has always been that power steering fluid bottles look almost just like brake fluid bottles. And the color of the fluid is almost the very same. similar, except that one is a petroleum base and the other is an alcohol base. hmm and when petroleum is put into a braking system, it will wipe the entire system out. Every rubber part in it swells up, and the pressure starts leaking past the seals. And then you have a no-brake pedal or a right. very low-brake pedal situation. It really starts out with the master cylinder, goes down, hits the calipers, gets the brake hoses. If it's got anti-lock brakes, which virtually goes, every car does now, goes through the valve. it's going to take out the modulator and all that, and you're going to end up with one huge, huge repair bill. And I know everybody's sorry. I know nobody meant to do it, but somebody's going to have to... Somebody's got to pay for it. Yeah, sorry, doesn't feed the bulldog. (laughs) As the old saying goes. Let's see if we can catch a phone call for our next break. We got Robert on line. Good morning, Robert. Hey,
1: good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a quick question for you. You bet. I have a 2012 Honda Odyssey, and I want to change the transmission fluid in it. What do? How do you recommend doing this since it doesn't have a filter?
0: Yeah, what you do on that one, Robert, is you're going to do what they call a double drain and fill. Now, what that means, you got a plug on the bottom, you take that plug out, and you to get about three and a half quarts of fluid out, okay? Pour three and, okay. and a half quarts of fresh Honda brand fluid back into it, go drive it for about 20 minutes, come back, and immediately pull the plug and drain it again. Now, what happens is that when the engine starts, it draws the fluid up into the screen inside the transmission. When you turn it off, the fluid runs back the other way, drains back to the pan, which temporarily washes that filter out. If you will drain it immediately, you can get a lot of the debris out of the screen on it. Now, you do it twice, and that should take care of you. Now, if you got a lot, lot, a lot of miles, and it's never been serviced before, you might even do it three times, but normally twice is adequate. But that's the way you service it. There is no way to get to the screen without removing the transmission and taking it apart, which isn't practical, so that's just the best you can do. There is a magnet on that drain plug, so mm-hmm. make sure you check it when you take it out. While the fluid is draining, go ahead and wipe that plug off. Look for anything metallic. Uh like any little like little pieces, pieces of metal or parts or something. Usually it's just got a bunch of dust. Well, it's not gonna be dust. Yes, it's, well it's, it's dust off dust. clutches. Right. It's gonna be a uh, kind of a pasty looking black material, looking yeah, stuff. That is okay as long as you don't have any pieces in it. Any little in particles it. or pieces of metal. Go if ahead. If you have those, then you right. got bigger problems. Go ahead and clean it. Put it back in and do yourself a favor when you get ready to do it for the last time. Go ahead and change that little copper o ring on it, or uh, copper seal. On and the plug. Way, on the plug. That way, when you put it back in, it'll seal, and you won't have to worry about well, it. leak because that's a crush plug. It's only good for one time, right? Okay, so I have thirty thousand miles. I, would Perfect. you recommend doing it? I you would. Right three now, times. I would do it two times at thirty thousand. I'd do it every thirty thousand thereafter. Right. Thank you very much. All right, man. You're welcome. Thanks, Robert. All right, bye bye. Bye, bye. All right, we gotta take a quick little break. Please hold on. We'll be right back with a whole lot more.
1: I'm here with David, engineer, do-it-yourself mechanic, and actual Adco automotive customer. You got it. So, David, you own like 50-something cars? (laughs) Not that many. I have five. Some are for everyday driving, and then there's my 94 Olds Cutlass Supreme Convertible and 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe. Those are more for fun. And you do a lot of the work on them yourself. I do. But when it's out of my league and I
0: want it done right, I take my cars over to Agco. Wouldn't trust my cars with anyone else.
1: So listeners, if you're less like David and more like me, not automotively inclined, take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. So, David, I'd love to check out your '94 Cutlass. Really? Yeah. I figured we'd cruise around, listen to some of my Michael Bolton and Kenny G CDs. I'm more of an Air fan myself. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I see. Yeah. So, schedule your general inspection today at Adco Automotive. Adco. It's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back to the. <laughs> to the middle, middle section <laughs> of the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Alderson, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. And we've got Ron on the line. Good morning, Ron.
1: Yeah, good morning, Lewis. Yeah, I call you. I, I listen every Saturday. Y'all are real good. Great. And, thank uh, you. You've taken care of me plenty of times. And I had my tires rotated last week on my 2001 Infiniti QX4. Okay, sir. And he said my brake pads were getting real low on the front, but okay. it looked good on the back. Mm-hmm. And he recommended just, just go ahead and change the pads. And he said uh, the rotors don't need turned at all. No. Do, you, do they recommend turning them or not? No. It's-
0: no, you can't turn rotors on almost any car anymore, Ron, because uh-huh. they're real thin to start with. Yeah. Most rotors, like on Infinity, are about 15000 thousandths of an inch <clears throat> above discard when they're brand new. Right. And they're going to wear six or seven thousandths through a set of pads. So mm-hmm. if you turn them, you'll be way below discard. Right. Basically, if they're not worn <clears throat> or warped or there's no lip on them, you just leave them alone. Take some soap and water and scrub them clean and put pads on it. If they are worn out, then you just replace them. There's right. There's really no turning yeah. involved. Now, in uh,
1: you recommend to go back with the OEM Absolutely. pads? Absolutely. Absolutely,
0: okay. yes. Yeah, so or Don't don't substitute anything else, or you make, will be putting rotors. Right. Make sure you get the, the OEM pads. Make sure all the shims and hardware is there also. Correct. That and makes a big difference. Another thing you want to make sure when you buy OEM pads nowadays that they're not giving you value line pads. Correct because Mm -hmm. a lot of the manufacturers, what they realize is that the OEM pads cost more, and people shop price, so they've come out with a value line, which is nothing but an aftermarket pad in, say, an Infiniti or Nissan or Toyota or GM box, Mm -hmm. and they'll say, that junk. Ford started out with those Motocraft pads, and you just got to watch. Just going back to the dealer anymore doesn't mean you get an OEM. You have to ask for original equipment manufacturer. Of course, you come to Agco, we're going to put the OEM pad, but you got to right. be careful because you can get taken with your eyes wide open these days, sir.
1: Yeah, I got you. Is it all right to mention a brand name that didn't recommend it or not?
0: not on the air no sir but there are no aftermarket pads that are going to be the same as the original equipment pads because what happens see when infinity makes that pad they make a pad not just for that model but for that specific design model they may have three different pads just fit that one year model one type of car Uh it is specifically engineered with the coefficient of friction the right wear ratio and all those things for that exact car what an aftermarket mm-hmm. pad is is a big old roll of material, and they just mm-hmm. put it on different backings. And right. if you got a Chevy pickup, or you got a Honda car, or you got an Infinity, or you got mm-hmm. whatever, you get the same pad. Yeah. And what they do in our experience is they cause you go warp a set of rotors because they generally make the aftermarket pads harder, so they'll last longer. Right. They, they squeak. They heat. squeal. They build up too much heat. They warp the rotors. Right. So while you save forty dollars on a set of pads, you end up spending a thousand dollars next brake job to right or Even, fix all it. Even not the next brake job, somewhere halfway in between because yeah. you're tired of it shaking and squealing and carrying on. I couldn't yeah. tell you how many sets of brand-new pads we pull off, throw in the garbage, and go back and have to change everything. I got, a, I got a five-gallon bucket at the shop. Right, brand-new brand, <laughs> brand new pads. Yeah.
1: Is it necessary for me to get the porch, uh people uh, my uh, VIN number? Uh, yes, sir. It I, would be. You know what I
0: like to do, Ron? Mm-hmm. I don't even tell them what kind of car I have.
1: Right.
0: Walk in and say, I got VIN number, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Give them that. And mm-hmm. then just sit there and look at them. <laughs> and he should be able to tell you what kind of car right. he got. Right. Because people being what people are, sometimes they're a little bit lazy, and they don't want to key in that VIN number. Or they just think they know what part goes in your car. Yeah. So they'll just go back, grab it, and hand it to you, and you end up with the wrong piece. Right. If you don't tell them what kind of car it is, they have to key the VIN number in it to, find to find out. out. So every part guy that I deal with, they know when I call first, hey, good morning, how you doing? VIN number, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I am not going to tell them what kind of car. they got to tell me what kind of car it is. That way I know they punch that VIN number in. I got you. All righty.
1: Well, sure. Thank you, man. All right, That's Ron. Good one. All Thanks, right. man. Bye. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. All one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you're part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. Going right back to our phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've uh, got a little question. I've got a 2002 Camry. SC. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. wondering if the inner tie rods. But before I break the band and take that boot off to look in there, I was wondering if those y'all you know if the inner tie rods have that little retention pin. No, they do not. Uh, they, they don't have a pin, but they may have a breakover washer. Washer. What it is, this is a. It looks like a regular washer, except it's got two splines sticking down in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it locks in into two splines that are on the rack shaft itself. That locks the washer to the shaft. Then <clears> when you put the tie rod on. You bring the end of the washer over the nut on the tie rod, which hold, locks it in place. Okay. It just, just folds over. Right. I like to do that and put a little Loctite on them. Right. <clears throat> that way, there's no way they can come back off without being taken off. Right. And, and what you do to take them off is just take a little uh, flat chisel and get in there and just kind of gently tap until you spread them back out and take a pair of pliers or something and spread them back out. Then you can take it off. Uh, and I have seen people reuse those. I really like I to change them. You know, if a lot of times they come with the new tie rod, depending on what kind of tie rod you're buying. If you're mm-hmm. buying them from Toyota, you need to ask them if those are included. If they're not, go ahead and buy those two little washers. Cause right, not gonna be more than a dollar or so a piece. And I just don't like rebending them because they're gonna be weakened, and if they break, the tie rod could come off. You can lose steering. Sure. Thank you very much. All right, How thanks for calling, man. All right, bye bye. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. You want to be part of the automotive hour? You know, I think Ford was the only one that used that drive pin. Yeah, that pin that used to go through. Yeah. and that was back. That was back in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, quite a ways back. Yeah, you'd have to drive the pin out. If not, you tore the threads up on the you, rack. You taking could it tear, tear the threads up. I've seen people just unscrew it and shear it, sheared oh, yeah, it and just, off. And, and sometimes you get lucky, but sometimes you don't. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Most and, of the time it wasn't. It's kind of like a stop leak. When you don't get lucky, you got real unlucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the ramifications are way, way more than this, the this oh, yeah. savings. So let's go back to our phone lines. Terry, good morning, Terry. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Yeah, I have a question for you. I have a 2002 Ford F-250 Uh 7.3, and it usually starts on the first crank or so, you Mm -hmm. know, and you can feel the truck rock. Okay. But now it's not doing that. It takes a while to fire it up. Okay. So what could be the problem? Is it the glow plugs? Probably not, Terry. Glow plugs on a 7.3 in temperatures like we have here are almost not needed. It's just not cold enough. Now, if you were in Montana and it was... zero Zero, or thereabout yeah it wouldn't start most of the times the glow plugs are not going to do a whole whole lot i mean if they were not working the light would come on to tell you anyway because it senses all that so i kind of doubt it's going to be that i mean there's any number of things it could be and i'm not a big diesel guy so i'm probably not the best one to ask but i know one thing i have seen this argued back and forth back and forth and i've proven it to a lot of people check the condition of your batteries and make sure they're both good and hot and that engine is spinning full speed reason being you got two batteries there either one will crank that engine but that seven three has got to spin at a specified rpm or it will not start it'll get hard to start on you and i know that's the number one cause we see if you got one battery that's getting weaker the thing just doesn't turn quite fast enough and you got a young 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 and then eventually boom it'll go ahead and crank of course something like the lift pump could do the same thing and a lot of other things but Okay. Just have those batteries tested. Make sure they're good and hot, and make sure they're the right batteries and they're a good matching pair. You can't change just one because right. that's one of the biggest things that cause that, and nobody believes that. And I've seen people spend thousands of bucks, come back, we put two batteries in it and fix the problem. Beyond that, you're okay. going to have to get a fuel pressure test done on it to see what else is going on. All right. Thank All right. you very much. Thanks, All right. Gary. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive fire. For some reason, people don't ever want to believe that. Yeah. No, it's cranking fine. Well, how did you determine well, that? Exactly. Well, I listen to it. Well, you know your ear isn't that good because I mean it's only a difference of maybe three or four hundred RPM when it's cranking. You know, it, it may crank at say five fifty, it may start right up. If it's cranking four fifty, it may not start at all. Right. And you can't hear the difference. It'll sound just fine. Yep. I remember the first time we ran across that and we put two batteries and i mean boom right, right, right first up. time and the guy couldn't believe it i said well i'm just telling you <laughs> yeah we see it just, all the time and, just, and batteries just, die in different ways i mean that's right you know on, on sometimes a, they just completely die won't crank at all other times they just get weak and it just won't turn fast enough right and on a on a gas engine eight volts right well, well cranking engine, it'll crank it just fine because it doesn't take that much to crank it it's not that critical to starting a, because you got a spark. Engine. we got a spark igniting that fuel air mixture sure. whereas with well, diesel has to turn fast enough to build enough compression To to make that mixture explode. Right. So let's go back to our phone lines. John, good morning, John. Yes, I got this 2004 Malibu. Okay. And the uh, running lights on the front, they had melted the, uh, you know, the plastic. Yes, sir, pretty common on those. Yeah. I put some uh, uh, LEDs in there. Uh-huh. Okay. And it makes the blinkers blink like. Like it's not one working i mean it makes them blink fast is that hurting Could vary. yeah what it's doing is change the amperage requirements and see that system may very well even on 04 it may sense the amount of current being drawn if current is insufficient it's going to assume the bulb is burned out so it's going to it's flash the lights real fast to tell you that in other words, too much is not good, but not, not enough, enough is just as bad. Yeah, you gotta have the right amount, and you don't have the right amount with that. That's the way the system works. It senses the amount of current being drawn. And that one's drawing a lot less, so it assumes the bulb is burned out. Yeah. They they make a um uh, I I'm lost for words. It's, <laughs> it's a it's a special component you put in there when you install the LEDs so they so the like a resistor of some sort. So the system sees the resistance. From the LED bulb and interpret it as a regular bulb, right? And it will go ahead and blink. Yeah, they you, run into that a lot on the uh the older cars, right? You may like that. just uh send an email to the company that manufactured light bulbs, tell them the problem you got, and ask them if they have a product that. And it's usually it's gonna be something pretty simple. Like Brian said, you might just be able to plug in between the bulb and the socket or something like that. But it's gonna have to sense the right amount. I mean, does it hurt anything? I'm not real sure. Probably not. It's just the bulb's gonna blink real fast. Yeah. Yeah, they they blink. Both of them blink. Yes, sir. You know, the now, front back. one other thing you might be able to do is to change the flasher unit to a different flasher unit that's designed to work with LEDs, maybe something off. See, the newer ones have uh, electronic flasher, so they can anticipate all that kind of stuff. But the old one had a mechanical flasher. It's just not generating enough current to work that flasher yeah. properly. Okay. But, again, I'd email the company that makes the bulbs and see. They may be able to recommend a flasher for you. All right. All right, John. All right. Thanks, Thank man. You. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. We're gonna to try to catch one more call before the break and we've got Lynette online. Good morning, Lynette. Hey, I have a two thousand and nine Nissan Armada. Okay. And the question I have is about my tire pressure readout yes, ma'am. on my display. Mm-hmm. Two of my tires are not showing any readout. Uh-huh. Is that
1: Something my husband could check, we could check, or do we have to bring it into a mechanic? You're going
0: to have to bring it to someone who has a tool that's able to communicate with the system. Most okay. of the time, Lynette, what's happened is that in each tire, there's a little transmitter that sends mm-hmm. a signal over to a receiver that gives you the information you need. And those little batteries in those transmitters have a life. And that Uh-oh. life is probably somewhere around seven years, seven to ten years. Yours are seven years old. Most likely, two of the batteries have died, and so it's no longer transmitting. And without some type of a scan tool that can go in and communicate, you can't really determine that for certain because it could be other things. But that's most likely what's happened. So it could be an easy fix. Well, well it's not necessarily not easy. too easy. Not to, easy. You have to break the tire down. And you have to replace the transmitters. And okay. Those little jokers are about a hundred dollars a piece plus labor to break down the tire, mount it, and you have to program the system when you're through. So. It's a relatively expensive thing. When I say relatively expensive, three $400. And if you're going to do two of them, you can almost do yourself a favor and just do them all because when two are bad, the other two are not going to be too far behind. Okay. Oh, all right.
1: Sure. Thank you. Yes ma'am. yes, ma'am.
0: Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive out? we would love to have you. Take one last quick little break and be right back with more.
1: I'm here with David, actual Agco Automotive customer and owner of a 98 Suburban with 434,000 miles on it. And counting. That's amazing! How did you do that? Well, as an airline pilot, I know the importance of regular maintenance schedules. That, and having a great team of mechanics, just like the guys at Agco. So, Agco has helped keep your car running? All of my cars. Wow! So, folks, if you're looking to keep your late model vehicle on the road longer, take it to AGCO once a year for a general inspection. That way the AGCO team can catch any potential problems early before they become expensive repairs down the road. Yeah, David, I've done a little piloting myself. Really? Well, it was one of those radio-controlled planes you fly off of Burbank, (laughs) but I could feel the power. (laughs) Oh, I bet you could. That's really close to a 747. I know, right? So, folks, schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of AGCO Automotive. got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we got Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Top of the morning to you. Uh, I got an 03 Chevy Trailblazer that's eating gas. You okay. got any ideas? I'm going to tell you, Chris, in the order of commonality, the, the first thing is check and make sure the engine is getting to full operating temperature. And if it's not, the thermostat hung open is the number one cause of just burning a lot of gas because what happens is that a injected engine does not have a choke like a old carburetor did. So what happens is when the temperature is low, it has to double-fire those injectors. So you start drinking gas. That is the number one thing by a wide, wide margin. Make sure you're getting a full operating temperature. It now, ought to be running somewhere around 200 degrees. Right. Now, you can't look at the gauge and tell that. Right. You're going to have to get into the, the control module, the computer, and find out what the computer is reading right. because the computer reads a different sensor than the temperature gauge. gauge on the dash does. Right. So if the computer thinks it's running at 40 below – it's gonna pulse those injectors whether the gauge on the dash shows two hundred degrees or not. Right. Another thing is if that sensor is bad and it thinks it's not hot right. enough, even though it is even though it's full temperature, if it thinks it's not full temperature, it's gonna do exactly the same thing. Sure. Now beyond Except- that, it becomes a little more complicated. Of course, any kind of a misfire on the engine or anything like right. that will, will reduce mileage. Anything wrong with the airflow meter, the map sensor, or the oxygen sensors will also cause the gas to, to burn quite a bit more. On lesser degree, something like a transmission not going to lock up will burn somewhat more gas, but not to the same degree. So check all of those things and if it's still not gotten up where you want it to be, you could probably have to get to someone who can do some testing for you.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I appreciate it. All right, sir, all right, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. We're gonna catch as many of these calls as we can. All we right. got Jeff on the line. Good morning, Jeff. Yes, sir. How are y'all doing this? Morning? Doing doing wonderful. great. Yeah, I got a question for you. I just bought a O four Ford Expedition mm-hmm. and ha- it has a bad transmission in. Okay. And I was wondering if you guys could tell me what year models will interchange with that and what size transmission is in the car I have now. I got under there and I didn't see a tag or anything on it. Right. It's not gonna have a tag. Yeah, either. it's it's an expedition, it's probably got a four R 70, seventy, either a W or an E or an S, which is the different models. You'd have to get the VIN number of the vehicle and you could either go to service data and look it up, or you might just call the local dealership, parts department. give them the VIN number and ask them what transmission is in that car, and they can tell you exactly. But it did okay. use some different models, and I'm not sure exactly what year models will interchange, but I know some of them will. Okay. A, I appreciate it. They had a lot of trouble on that one, wearing out the second gear servo in the case. There was a case wears out, and that servo won't apply, and it loses second gear. That was the biggest thing we used to see on them.
1: Okay. All right. I appreciate it. All right, sir.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive I we'd love to have you. And we've got Justin on the line. Good morning, Justin. Hey, man. I got a 2000 Chevrolet 2500 with a 350 in it. Okay. And, of course, my VIN number, I've been at it since it's 40,000 miles. Mm-hmm. But Chevrolet says this has got a 6.0, but this is a 5.7. <laughs> and, is it a three-quarter ton? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, so your three quarter tons kept, and they stopped using the 5.7 in 99, is the reason why they're saying that. But your three quarter tons and some of those kept it another year. The very easiest way to tell the difference, Justin, does it have a distributor and plug wires? No, no, sir. Does not have no a distributor, distributor and plug wires? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it does. Okay, it does. if it's got a distributor and plug wires, then it's a 5.7 350. Because the six liter right. has call packs, it has eight call packs on top of the plugs. Right. And the other problem, I was, well, I guess ain't really a problem, mm-hmm. but at 125 degrees, it goes in the closed loop. That's correct. And I, all the other Chevrolets I worked on was like 168. As they get newer, they go in a lot faster. In fact, right, the newer won't. ones go in almost immediately. I can so, sit out down. It yeah, you cannot apply anything loop. you used to know to the newer vehicles. Right it's just it's not <laughs> going to cross over the new ones. Much. Yeah, the newer ones. I mean, within a, a matter of seconds, are in closed loop because right. they keep increasing the emissions ratings, and it can't meet those ratings with a thing in open loop. Right. So that's okay. why they've got heated oxygen sensor stuff on them. It automatically heats that sensor up, yes. and by the time you start the car and put it in gears, in closed loop.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. with this one I was just wondering. I I got three hundred thousand on it, and never mm-hmm. had a check engine like yeah, mechanic, so There you <laughs> go. There
0: you fast. go, yeah. Now, the little 5.7 was one of that's my favorite motor. engines. I mean, that's basically the same engine they designed in 1955 and kept all those years. And around 2,099, they dropped it on the Chevy pickups, except the three-quarter tons they kept in another year or two. And I think of some of the vans, they kept it a year mm-hmm. or two. But if it's got a distributor, then it's a small block. If it does not have a distributor, then, then it's you're the into V-style. your 5.3 and your 4.8, your six zero. And see, probably what they're doing—they're looking at the VIN number. It's probably got a U in the eighth digit of the VIN number. The U, if it were the one that had the other series of engine, would denote a six liter. Okay, okay? and they're probably looking at that and not realizing it's three quarter ton. Good That's word. what makes a difference. All right, Bob. All right, man. All right. I'm good. Thanks, man. Bye, bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to part of the automotive guy, we'd love to have you. Yeah, that was a good little engine. It was that little three fifty. Man, they put it in everything. Well. And that started our life as a 265 yeah. in 1955. In 1957, they bumped it up to a 283. In 1962, they bumped it up to a 327. Mm-hmm. And I think it was 1968, they went to the 350. 350. And there was other renditions of it along the way. You had a 307. You and had 302. The 302 was 67 to 69 only and only, only in the Camaro's 28. Correct. Correct. And... You also had a 400 version of it. Uh Uh-huh. There was several, several renditions, all the same family. That family is called a small block. Correct. Has nothing to do with the size of the block. It just was called a small block. And then your 396, 360, and 427, and 454 was called the big block. Correct. And then along those years, you also had what they call the W engine, which was your 348 and 409. They only kept that, I think, from oh, oh, 58 50. to 62, I believe, Right before it was a forerunner of the big block. Right. And those are different families of engines. Now, what we mean by a family of engine, if you took the water pump off of a 1955-265, it would probably bolt up to the engine block on that 99-model 5.7 exactly it block, may or may not work because it might turn the opposite direction the pulley may be different because they went to a serpentine belt they put brackets and braces to hold sure. different things but, but the, the basic point, bolt pattern was the same and the they same, basically kept that same block yeah the the engine block stayed the same they, they changed the it. cylinder head some they put bigger pistons they put longer stroke crankshafts. right for instance the 283 was a four excuse me a three and seven eighths inch bore i think with a three inch stroke okay the 327 went to a four inch bore the 302 they took the 327 block and a 283 crankshaft so they went to a three inch stroke with a four inch bore right and by changing out crankshafts bore sizes and all that they just came up with a number of different size engines all, all along the, way. the same block. Yeah, they even built a 4.3 liter of it, which was the LT1 that went in some of the Roadmasters and all that. Uh-huh. You remember that? In fact, Charles Burns has a I do. a 4.3 liter small block V8. Right. And where, when people see 4.3, they think of a V6. Six cylinder, yeah, which is basically a v8 with two cylinders cut off of it yeah well the six cylinder is the same basic engine what they did is they took the front of a small block uh-huh. took out two cylinders and, and then put the front together. to the back and they made a small block six cylinder right because that was a good little motor yeah oh, it's, it's a great money, and i don't know if they don't still use that thing in a few, few i think they, I, they may I've seen some pretty late model vehicles. That's why when I bought my truck, I specified I wanted that particular engine. Right, that's an that's a 2 Yeah, mine's an, an O2, truck. and I had to specify why I did not want a V8. I wanted that 600 uh-huh. engine because it's just, in my Full-size experience, a lot, lot less Problems than even the small block V8s. Well, they took and they put that in the, the S10s and the S10 Blazers. Mm-hmm. A lot of your Blazers and stuff had that had that way V6 back motor. In the day And then they came out with a little inline motor, which wasn't nearly as good. No, no, I don't, I don't care for as near as much no. as I like that four three. Lot, lot, lot more problems with that. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. We're we'll gonna start winding it on up, get, like, getting ready to get on out of here. Like tell everyone, thanks you for listening. And if you have a podcast or you listen to a podcast. Go on there and give us a written rating. Yeah, if you give us a written review, it'll move us up so that when someone types in auto repair, our name will come up close to the top of the list, which always relates back to more people listening. That's which what is the whole point of the entire show. <laughs> well, and it's not that we always mean to be begging for ratings and stuff, but that is what keeps us on the air. That's it. it. If, we, if, if the popularity show falls, they're going to take us all and put a lawn garden show on. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you don't want to be listening to that. All right. <laughs> Preceding <laughs> was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.